We're starting in Acts chapter 16 this morning. You can go there if you want. We're just going to be there for a couple of minutes and, and we'll have that verse available for you on the screen. I want to give you some background of what's happening in Acts chapter 16. Uh, you meet two guys by the name of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were missionaries uh, in this early Christian church and you find them in prison in Acts chapter 16. Well, they're in prison, but around midnight, uh, this worship service of sorts breaks out in a jail cell. Uh, an earthquake follows, and the scriptures tell us that the chains fell off their arms and feet, that the jail cell doors swung open, and then the jailer kind of freaked out a little bit, because the jailer knew that if anyone escaped, it was his head, that he would be executed uh, for this uh, escape by any detainees whatsoever. And so in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 29... Uh, we find this jailer rushes into this room where Paul and Silas are, and here's what it says. It says, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Why was he trembling? Well, one, there was an earthquake that just had taken place, but he knew that this was just more than an earthquake, that there was something to these two guys and this God that they were singing about. Verse 30, he says, he then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that's a great question. I mean, this jailer rushes in and he asks Paul and Silas this simple question, what must I do to be saved? And you know, the answer to that question totally depends on who you ask today. Because you could go around and you could ask a number of different people their answer to that question. If you had the chance to stand face to face with the Pope and ask the Pope the answer to that question, you'd get an answer. Uh, If you had the chance to meet the Dalai Lama and ask the Dalai Lama, what must I do to be saved, he'd have an answer for you. Uh, Lady Gaga would have some sort of answer for you to that question. Uh, Billy Graham, too. You know, and we could do the same as well. You could go up to Strawtown and find somebody and ask him that question. We'll shout out for Strawtown this morning. Anybody? All right, yes. You know, somebody would have an answer. Uh, You could go to Fishers. They'd have an answer. If you went down to Broad Ripple and met somebody on the street, Again, another answer, all sorts of different answers to this question, what must I do to be saved? Well, this series is called Truish, and we've been in this for the past couple of weeks now and trying and and thinking about, talking about the way that people think today, uh, the way that people process things and and make decisions. And, And as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, there exists in this world today a popular way of thinking, a school of thought of sorts. Uh, where, where, where people try and understand why things happen the way that they do. And this way of thinking, this school of thought, it has a name. And it's called relativism. And just to give you a simple definition, relativism is this assumption that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And, you know, it's not like it's always blatant, but chances are you'll find it in a friend conversation. You know, it's not like it just happens in lecture halls on university campuses, but it's, it's prevalent there too. You know, you'll see it on TV. But this idea of relativism, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Basically, there's no standard. You know, there's no one thing that you can point to for the answers or to some of the greatest questions that people are asking. So when it comes to questions about eternity or when it comes to questions about purpose or moral issues, relativism says, popular culture today says, that there's no one place that you can turn and get a confident answer, that you can get a confident answer to this question. And so instead, relativism is this truth that, that, that truth is, is constantly evolving. 
that, that it's always being reinterpreted or rethought, that what was necessarily true 50 years ago isn't necessarily true today, and what you believe is okay for you, and I'll just take my beliefs, and we can just kind of have this melting pot, this, collections of belief, this collection of beliefs where everything is fine, and we're all left here on this earth to figure things out as we go, kind of to each of their own. And so relativism is this popular way of thinking today. And if you allow yourself to, and if you pay attention to it over the next week, I guarantee you, you'll see examples of this. Again, whether it be on TV and something that you're reading, you know, on the news, you know, people that you're talking to, it doesn't matter, but it's championed, it's encouraged. And, And so because there are so many people today who deny truth, who deny absolute truth, when it, when it comes to these issues of religion or moral issues uh, or eternal issues, here, here's some of the things that you, that you might hear. You might hear things like, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. So anything goes, but as long as you're sincere and passionate about what you believe, that's fine. You know, you, you hear things like that. You hear truest statements like that. Or, or you might hear something like, you know, what is true for you might not necessarily be true for me, you know, but, but as long as you're sincere, it's okay. Or how can you sit there? How can Christians dare say that Jesus Christ is the only way? I mean, how, how can you make such a, a narrow-minded statement like that? Or, you know, even Oprah, you know, because Oprah's, you know, I mean, she is just the only source, right? I mean, she's all about all different loads. They all lead to the same place. You know, we're all going to get to the same location, at the very end. You know, these are, these are truest statements. These are these grayish sort of beliefs that there's no such thing as black and white. It's just, it's all to be interpreted. And, and so we get these truest statements where they sound true and they even feel right. And they may even be embraced by a, a strong majority of people, you know, in the world today. But, but just because you hear them on TV and just because a majority of people may cling to them, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are true. You know, and we live in this world right now that that is all about embracing anything and everything. And if you believe something to be true, then it's okay. And, and as long as you're sincere about it, well, I guess it's right. I mean, who, who are you and I to, to ask questions of anyone and what they believe? According, just to give you some, some kind of a, a picture of the effect that it's having, and we've done some stats over the few weeks, and maybe I make them up, maybe I don't. But you'll just have to choose to believe me. According to, I didn't make them up. According to a recent poll done by the Barna Research Group, Here's what it says. 53% of Americans today believe that if a person is generally good, they will go to heaven. Well, I don't know what generally good means, but 53% of people feel that way today. I mean, if you're just a good person, you're going to go to heaven. Get this. 43% of Christians say that it doesn't matter what faith you follow, all are basically the same. These, These are Christians. Four out of ten Christians say it doesn't matter what faith you follow, all are basically the same. And then get this, 57% of evangelical Christians say that most religions lead to heaven. 57% of Christians say that most religions lead to heaven. So here's a question, and just as we get started this morning, just kind of figure out where we are, and I, I won't have you raise your hand, but in your opinion, are all re- world religions or are all faith systems basically the same? I mean, where, where do you come from on, on a question like that? Is it, is it really all the same? Do we all, does, it, does it all lead in the same direction, same God, same place? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Or, or does it even matter? I mean, does a question like that concern you? I, I believe, you know, that this is a very important question. You know, this idea of truth. And I believe it's a very important matter. I, I believe it's important for, for you and me, for this church, as followers of Jesus, you know, that we get it right. Because I don't believe that truth has to be this gray area. I, I believe that we can be confident, absolutely confident in what we believe. 
Now, in case you're wondering, in case you're new with us today, I am a Christian. All right, I'm just going to tell you that right up front. I know that might shock you or whatever. Wow, really, you know, here in this church, yes, I am a Christian, you know, and, and I believe that wholeheartedly, and, and I know it's a big shock and all, but I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, or at least trying to be. Sorry, I'm having a little trouble with my mic here. Uh, at least trying to be. And, and I'm going to spend a few minutes with you this morning just looking at this person of Jesus. And, and I want you to know this, that I'm not an expert. Uh, I don't claim to be an expert in this. Uh, in fact, this particular series has been very challenging for me. It's not one that comes easy, and, and I've had to do all sorts of reading and, and lean on some other pastors and, and experts that are, uh, that are brilliant in these kinds of things. And so I wouldn't qualify to teach anything like this in a college classroom. And in fact, many times, many weeks, I just get one week head start on you with this stuff, you know, because I get started on Monday morning, and, and so I can look smart, but it's only because I started on Monday, and maybe you're just digging into it uh, today with me. But I know that I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. And, and, and this true issues, again, it's been good for me. It's been a challenging topic, and it has stretched me a bit. And I, I hope it's done the same for you. I hope it's gotten you thinking a little bit about, okay, what does this mean for me? You know, maybe where have I been a, a little weak in some of the areas or a little less confident? Uh, you know, because it stretched me. Um, but I, why, I tell you, why do I tell you this? Here's what I want you to know. Because no matter where you come from today, especially if this is new for you, or, or you've kind of stepped in here and... And you're not so easy to just grab onto anything we say and believe it, which is okay. I'm glad you're willing to do that research. I'm not going to try over the next few minutes to try and present some fascinating case and convince you of what I believe or what we believe, you know, as followers of Jesus. I want to give you full permission to do that on your own. But here's why I'm telling you this. Uh, Knowing that you may come from a different background, knowing that Uh, Maybe this church thing or this Jesus thing may still be very new to you. I want to see if, as we begin, if we can at least establish some common ground uh, when it comes to this area of other faiths and and truth and such. And and where I want to go from there after we establish this common ground in in a few minutes, in a few minutes here in the service, is I want to just give you a a real honest uh, glance picture of Jesus. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago of would you be one to commit yourself to investigating this on your own? Uh, just check it out for yourself if you believe this to be an important subject. Well, I want to just give you the basics on Jesus, kind of the bare bones on Jesus, just a, a bit of a 360-degree glance, and then ask you to take a real objective look at him for yourself and even walk away from here and, and maybe ask some questions about where you are right now. But let's start by seeing if we can find some common ground, you know, as we think about this idea of whether all world religions or faith systems are basically the same. So the first thing is this, and if you're taking notes and you want to follow along, I, I'm wondering... Can we agree that when it comes to, you know, what you believe, that while you might be sincere, it doesn't necessarily make what you believe to be true? That that while you might believe something, while anyone might believe and and be sincere about something in particular, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is true. Uh, You know, can we agree on this? And I I realize that goes against what some of you may believe or what you may think, but I'm, I'm wondering if we can give it a chance. Case in point. Uh, on March 26, 1997, 39 members of the Heaven's Gate cult were found dead after all had committed suicide together. This, uh, you might remember this event. It was all over the news, very obscure, very bizarre event. Uh, a leader, a guy by the name of Marshall Applewhite, uh, and his wife had formed this group, this way of thinking, this claim to truth back in the 70s. Uh, he believed that he was a very close descendant of Jesus Christ. His wife believed, and he both, that they were divine beings with this special inspiration 
given to them by God. And so their beliefs, the beliefs of this particular group, this Heaven Gates group, was a, a concoction of all sorts of faiths. Uh, you would find some biblical teaching in there. There were all these thoughts on evolutionary advancement. Uh, there were these ideas uh, about science fiction and all of this influence from, from, from movies and, and writings of sorts uh, when it comes to science. But the Heaven's Gate cult group, they were very focused on the end. Just absolutely fascinated on, on the end times and how it was all going to come to the end. And believing that the end of the world was coming and that it would eventually be destroyed by disaster or catastrophe. Uh, Heaven's Gate, they believed that freedom for their group and for all of, of the population would be found through their group, through their belief system. That it was the truth through this Heaven's Gate group. Well, enter the scene, Hale-Bopp Comet. Remember Hale-Bopp Comet? Uh, I can still remember, you know, in 1997, uh, driving in central Illinois at night, very clear night, and, and being able to see Hale-Bopp Comet. Well, when Hale-Bopp Comet pr- came on the scene, uh, the Heaven's Gate group became very fascinated with it. And in their opinion, they believed that there was a spaceship uh, following the Hale-Bopp Comet, that Hale-Bopp Comet would destroy the earth, but that survival could be found uh, through the spaceship that followed. And so sometime during the week of March 26, 1997... All 39 members of the Heaven's Gate cult uh, committed suicide. And when they found them, and the popular news story was is that they were all lying in the same room in beds, very neatly prepared, uh, wearing black shirts and sweatpants, wearing Nike high tops. And I was reading the other day that in their pockets, each person had a $5 bill and three quarters. Okay, again, you know, very bizarre, you know, and you probably have laughed about it at times. I found myself laughing about it a little bit. But Heaven's Gate believed that the end of the world would follow Hale-Bopp, and so by committing suicide, they were escaping. They were going to find survival and ultimately find freedom. So again, very bizarre, easy to make a joke, easy to laugh about it. You know, when you say, well, why would you believe this? Well, they did. You know, 39 people, they believed it so much that they gave their lives for it. All right? And they believed that they held the truth, that they were even willing to die. They were sincere and they were wrong. Hail Bop did not mean the end of the world. It didn't destroy the world. And so on this day, this week in March of 1997, a bunch of moms and dads lost their kids. You know, these people, they embrace truth. So I'm wondering, can we at least start from this place and agree that just because someone might be sincere about something, it doesn't necessarily mean or make what they believe to be true. Another thing, can we agree that there are positive messages in many world religions today, but all can't be true? Uh, let, let me pa- unpack this a little bit. A, a lot of times people will say, hey, my religion is right. You know, this is what I believe. It's truth. The whole world should believe this. I mean, we do this with Christianity. I'm not going to lie. That's a part of, of our mission as a church. That's a part of my mission uh, as a person, as a pastor, is to tell people about what I believe and ultimately that they'll make a decision for Jesus Christ. But guess what a devout Muslim or a devout Hindu believes about their same religion? They, they believe it to be true, that this is true, that this is absolute truth. And and so let's just look at some of the similarities between some of the major world faiths, some of the positive teachings that many world religions embrace today. For example, most world religions teach that life is sacred. All right. And I think we could all agree that that's a, that's a positive message that we believe life is sacred. Uh, Most world religions or faith systems believe that there's more to life than five days a week of work. And you do it 50 weeks out of the year, you know, and you get a couple weeks off vacation. There's more to it than that, that, that we're here with a purpose. You know, that there's something else to latch onto in this world. It's not just about, you know, doing the routine or whatever. Um, most religions believe, or, or major world religions, have some sort of comparisons when it comes to moral issues. Uh, the way that you treat one another. 
uh, the compassion that we show, uh, even uh, when it comes to sexual purity. And, and there are some, you know, these are definitely shared. You know, there are definitely positive messages in many of the world religions and faiths today. But when you get to the core of these world religions, everything drastically changes. You know, and, and our way or your way to God becomes a completely different story. And I don't know how you could come to a place where you could say, well, they're all true. I mean, can you really do that? I mean, take Buddhism for a moment. You know, Buddhism, Buddhists don't believe in a God, and they don't believe in any type of final, eternal existence. Now, when you contrast that with, with what a Hindu believes, the Hindus believe in a God, but their God is impersonal and can only be approached through uh, sub-deities and, and smaller gods and statues and idols of sorts. Now, this is great concern. This is a cause for great concern if you're a Muslim, you know, and you worship Allah. You know, while Allah is personal, you know, the Muslim faith is very adamant that there are no secondary personal deities. And, and for the Muslim, there is an absolute ban on any sort of an idol whatsoever, you know. And so, again, take Buddhism and Hinduism, for example. Uh, they can't promise forgiveness in this world. It's not a part of their belief system. You know, there's no super, supernatural help for this. So you just go on karma, you know, and you take your chance. But throw Christianity into the mix, you know, and our message as Christians is that God sent his son Jesus Christ into this world, that God came, you know, he came through Jesus, and Jesus Christ, he gave his life, he gave his life for our sins, that, that we could ultimately find life and hope uh, and eternal security through Jesus Christ and what he's made available. Our help ha- has come from heaven. He was sent from our God, our very personal and loving God. And so here's the problem, and here's what it comes all down to. If you take Hinduism, and you take Buddhism, and you take the Islam faith, and you take Christianity, and you put it all together, Christianity is not alone in its claims of absolute truth. You know, take the most devout person in each of those faiths, and they will say, tell you, this is the way it is. This is truth. This is the standard that we all point to. And so I'm wondering, can we at least come to this common ground of saying that all can't be true at the same time? I mean, if you're going to play the game of truth in this world, it's impossible to say you completely contradict yourself if you say that each of them can be true because only one can be true. The third thing, the last thing is, can we agree that discovering and living truth matters more than anything else in life? That if you would even be willing to go out on a limb and say that, okay, I'm willing to believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth. I'm just not so quick to say that Christianity is absolutely the answer. If you're willing to believe that there is such a thing as truth in this world, isn't discovering it and living it out one of the most important decisions that you'll ever make in your life? I mean, because we're we're talking about eternity here. You are going to die one day. I mean, the mortality rate in this world is still right at about 100%, all right, that everybody eventually dies. And if there is such a thing as truth, isn't it important that you and I, we, we, we figure out what it is and we embrace it uh, because it is the most important decision that you would make. And truth's important. I mean, take a, take a pilot, for example. All right, if you're a pilot, uh, there's a manual involved, there's training involved, uh, there's usually an airplane involved at some point. And let's just suppose that you're a pilot and ready to take off from O'Hare International Airport on a Monday morning. It's pretty important that you follow the rules, uh, you follow the guidelines, you listen to the control tower, and not just decide, you know what, I'm going to make up my own mind what to do here today. That, that all paths ultimately lead to the sky, you know. There's not a lot of truth in that. I mean, there, there's potentially a lot of disaster involved. Or, or take a surgeon, for example. 
Now, suppose that, uh, you know, you, you get a surgeon who decides, you know what, I'm tired of the normal. And so you go in for a tonsillectomy, and your surgeon says to you, you know what, I'm a little bored with tonsillectomies. Did about five of them this week, so let's just try something new today. Why don't you flip over on your back, and let's just go in through the spinal cord today and see if we can't get to those tonsils, you know, just to kind of liven it up a bit. You know, I mean, if there's truth, you know, it's important that you embrace it. It's important that you live it out and you hold on to it. You know, there's, there's confidence that can be found, you know, because truth is important. Discovering and living out truth in your life is more important than anything else. And so what about you? You know, where do you land with a subject like that? I mean, do you ever think about the end of your life? I think we can find some common ground there. Yeah, I think about that once in a while. Do you ever, do you ever wonder how things are ultimately going to wrap up for you in this world? And, what, and wonder, you know, could there be something? Is there something else that comes after this? I mean, if you have good... I mean, you should. I, th- I think we all need to answer that question. I think we get caught up into this, this game at times of believing, I'm going to live forever, you know. I'm not sick. I'm healthy. I'm going to live forever. I mean, we're talking about eternal life here. And, and when you go through life, people are going to tell you all sorts of things about eternity. I mean, you, you might have that crazy aunt that told you one thing, you know, or maybe your world religions professor said something in college or in that class. You know, maybe Bill Maher said something on TV the other night, and you're like, yeah, there it is. You know, that, that's what eternity is all about. I mean, when it comes to eternity, don't you think that if there's anything that we need to get right in this world, it's the eternity issue? Well, as I told you in the beginning, I, I just want to conclude this morning by just giving you a few thoughts as it relates to Jesus. You know, Jesus came into this world, and he says, I have come to testify to the truth. I've come with my life. I am an example. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I want to just give you some things to think about as it relates to Jesus. And and I'm wondering if you would consider doing something today. Because I know that it's possible that you walked in through these doors this morning and you've already got some kind of preconceived ideas about Jesus and the church and what you believe or don't believe. But I'm wondering if this issue is important enough to you that you'd be willing to just kind of set all of that aside and say, you know what, I think maybe perhaps I've been influenced through some bad experiences or some people who have done me wrong. And I think I only owe it to myself to take a really fair and a really objective look at this question of Jesus. And so that's what I want to invite you to do today. And so I'm just going to give you a few things and ask you to kind of make a fresh start with it. Uh, You can take them home with you today. I hope you'll find some people to ask. I mean, maybe you're in a connection group and it can kind of come up as the, the subject Uh, of discussion. Uh, There are some questions that we provide in the worship program for you that maybe you might want to reflect on a bit. If you came with your spouse or a friend, maybe it's a conversation on the way home or as you're eating lunch together today or something. You you know, you can work through these on your own, but but just kind of a glance at Jesus briefly. Uh, Let me just give you a few things to think about when it comes to Jesus. Number one, just look at his teachings. Now, that's what I want to ask you to do. Just look at the teachings of Jesus. I mean, you can hate Christianity you know, but look at what Jesus taught. And if you take an honest look at Jesus, his life, his teachings, everything that he said, you can't help but conclude he was a pretty amazing citizen of this world. I mean, he's like the standard when it comes to life and, and, and the person that we like to see around us. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 29. Jesus was teaching. Look at what he said. He says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. 
If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. I don't have too many tunics, but I've got some coats. But, you know, Jesus, he was all about love and he was all about loving your enemies. He, He taught us to do good to those who hate you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, go ahead and turn and let them hit you on the other one too. You know, some say that Christianity is one of the greatest threats to peace in this world today. I don't believe that's true. I believe the greatest threat to peace in this world today is sin. And I believe that Jesus, I believe that Christianity in its purest form, the purest message of all, is the greatest hope for this world today. And we find this in the message and the teachings of Jesus. I mean, Jesus modeled this. He taught about respecting people of other faiths, you know, of being light, of being salt. He, he, he taught that God's grace isn't for those who simply outperform others in this world, but God's grace is available to those who are just simply willing to admit that I need a Savior, that I can't do this on my own. And so take a look at, for, at it for yourself. I mean, you owe it to yourself to explore. I mean, just pick a gospel. Pick Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You know, and if you've got to start somewhere, start with John. And just read Jesus and listen to his teachings, the example that he's called us to. Again, you can hate church, you know, but just explore Jesus for yourself. Another thing, look at his teachings, but secondly, look at his miracles. Mark chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. It says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that he has been given that he even does miracles? I mean, could it be through the power of God, working through Jesus Christ, that he was able to do these things? He opened the blind man's eyes. He enabled the deaf man to hear. He enabled the uh, mute to speak. He turned water to wine. You know, he healed the sick. And I think it's interesting that you'll find, as you read through the Gospels, that every time, Every time that Jesus ran up against the Pharisees, who were the religious elite at the time, you know, they were Jesus' greatest enemies, you know, they they despised Jesus. Every time they ran up against Jesus, they never questioned his ability to perform miracles. They didn't do it. You know, they didn't try and invalidate, you know, this miracle that he performed. They just simply wanted him to stop. They didn't like his message. They were trying to quiet him. I mean, his growing popularity was a threat to their teaching. Another thing, look at his resurrection. I mean, if you don't know a lot about Christianity, this is the part you can't afford to miss. The the Bible teaches that Jesus was God with skin. You know, we, we call him the incarnation, that he came to this world, he became sin for us. He gave his life on the cross, but it it didn't end there. That Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead three days later. He was alive, and this is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Now, I know that when you read something like this, and especially if if you're coming from it from a bit of a skeptic's point of view, you can't help but read it and go, did it really happen? I mean, I I believe that he lived, and I think there's enough proof, there's enough history to show that he lived, but but did this portion really happen? And I can see how you can come at it from, from that side of things. I mean, did Jesus really come back to life? Well, in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, Peter was preaching to a large group of people who were questioning just this. And he said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And then look at his words. He says, we are witnesses of this. I mean, meaning me, Peter, uh, these other disciples, these men and women who have had the privilege of seeing him with our own eyes, of, of touching him, we are witnesses of this fact. And there are plenty of arguments today that go against this idea that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And I think a few of them are worth noting. Uh, there's one theory today that the Roman soldiers, they simply stole the body of Jesus. That when the body was in the tomb, they took it, they hid it. But, but here's the question that I have. Don't you think 
that, that if Christianity, if Jesus was this great threat to the Roman Empire, the moment that the disciples started shouting and chanting this news of Jesus Christ being resurrected from the dead, one of those Roman soldiers would have come forward and said, uh-uh, wait a second, here's the body right here, and I can prove it. But they didn't do that. Now, there's another theory that said that the disciples uh, were the ones who simply, sold, simply stole the body of Jesus. You know, that even though this tomb was sealed, and even though there was these Roman soldiers in front of it, and as big of an event as this had been in Jerusalem, that somehow the disciples were able to sneak through and steal the body of Jesus. But, but, but no, no, no uh, account has ever held up uh, to refute this sort of claim. You know, none has never really surfaced. You know, the disciples were witnesses you know, and, and Jesus never really came back from the dead. If, if, if it weren't true, you'd think this would have come up at some point. And the way that I look at it is like this. I mean, history records and shows that many of the disciples uh, went on to execution. They became martyrs for what they believed. And in most situations, as they stood before their death, uh, whether it be by hanging or by being crucified upside down or throwing it, being thrown in the lion's den, each of them had an opportunity uh, to refute what they believed, to refute their message. You know, if, if I'm one of those guys, I, I think I cave in the moment. You know, it's been a big scam. It's been a big cover-up. I, I like the story of Thomas. And if you're, not, if you're new to the church, I mean, you can... You can kind of go with this, and like when you think of Thomas, what do you think of? Doubts. You know, you think about, oh, yeah, that's the guy with questions. You know, I've seen that on, on TV before or something. Oh, doubting Thomas. Well, I, I think Thomas gets kind of a bad rap. I mean, here's the guy who stepped forward and said, hey, I, I can't believe it until I see it with my own eyes. You know, we see that in Scripture. And, and we kind of look at Thomas and go, wow, I mean, really? You have doubts like that? Yeah, because we never have doubts, do we? You know, none of us. I mean, we never question or wonder what God is really up to. But Thomas was the bold one. He was just one to say, I've got some questions. I'm a bit of a skeptic in this. I need to see. And Scripture records that Jesus knew. He just kind of knew where Thomas's heart was. He knew what Thomas needed in that moment. He said, hey, Thomas, why don't you take your hands? You know, t- touch the holes in my hand. You know, see my side. Did it change Thomas? Did it answer his questions? You bet it did. Uh, it, it's not in Scripture. And, and so you can only go to... Uh, hopefully reliable sources, but uh, within the Catholic Church, there's even um, some historical records that kind of show uh, the paths of some of the disciples and, and the journeys they took with the Christian faith and message. And, and one of the most active ministries of all of the disciples was, was Thomas. Uh, history shows that he took the message of Jesus Christ to India, uh, personally baptizing over 17,000 people before he was executed. Uh, He was finally captured and stabbed to death for his faith. Again, if I'm one of these guys, if I'm Thomas, and I know that I've been a part of a huge cover-up, I'm facing my death, a brutal death. If I see an escape, I see a chance out, I think I'm probably raising my hand and saying, yeah, it is just a big lie. But 2,000 years later, millions of people today are gathering in churches Because there's something to this story, this message of Jesus. Could it be that he really did come back to life? And that he lives in heaven today? Last thing. I ask that you just kind of take a look at what Jesus claimed. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, you don't have to agree with this. And maybe this verse kind of rubs you the wrong way. 
but would you be willing to at least agree that Jesus makes a very exclusive claim right here? He is not saying, I am one of the ways, or I am simply just this neat moral teacher that you should follow. He makes an exclusive claim of, I am the way. Muhammad didn't make that claim. Confucius never made that claim. Jesus said, I am the Father. You only get to God through me. There is no other way in this world. And so I say we look at what he taught. You know, take some time to reflect on what he claimed. You know, look at the miracles. Look at the resurrection. Do that. I mean, you owe it to yourself to do that. I mean, if you believe there's something to this eternity issue, I think you only owe it to yourself to really check it out. And if you look at each of these, you're really left with just three options when it comes down what to do with Jesus. You know, C.S. Lewis was the first to speak of them. You know, others have talked about it. But if you take a look at Jesus, I think you can only come to one of three conclusions with him, regardless of where you are on this whole faith thing. You've got three options, and just real fast. Option number one, you can conclude that he was nothing but a liar. I mean, it's possible. I think it's only fair that you can look at everything that he claimed, and you can say, you know what, he was just a liar. He, He was a big phony. You know, that he fooled the disciples into leaving their homes and and their families. But here's the thing. If you call him a liar, you can't call him a great moral teacher. And and a lot of people today like to say, hey, I don't like Christianity. I don't like the church. But when I look at Jesus, I I see this great moral teacher. Can't do that. Because you have to look at what he claimed. And if you refuse to believe what he claimed, then you're, you're calling him a liar. And so how can you call him this great moral teacher if in essence he's nothing but this, this great big liar? You know, the challenge for me is in this. If I'm Jesus and I'm lying, you know, and, and I'm laid down for, for these lashings on my back before crucifixion, it probably doesn't take one of them to strike my back before I'm speaking up. You know, but even if I could do one or two, you know, it's probably at that point where I'm stepping forward saying, wait a second. It's just, there's been this whole big misunderstanding. It's gone way too far. You know, call it off. It's nothing but a lie. But he didn't do that. And let's just suppose I could survive those beatings and go to the cross. That hammer and the nail would probably be enough to change my mind, you know. And maybe one gets driven through my hand, but, but it's enough to change my mind. But Jesus, he didn't do that. I mean, what is it about Jesus? But you can call him a liar. The second thing is you have another option, and that is you can call him crazy. You can call him a lunatic. You know, because of what he claimed, the things that he, he proclaimed to do, what he did with his life, the Son of God and all. You know, there are plenty of crazy people in this world today who have had some significant impact, you know, negative, you know, in, in many different ways, but they were crazy. I mean, Hitler was crazy. You know, David Koresh was crazy. Jim Jones was crazy. But you can look at Jesus if you want to, and you could say, yeah, he was a lunatic. He was crazy. Or the third option is, that you might just be willing to go out and say, yeah, he is who he said he was. He's the Lord. You know, those are your options. And, and again, you can do whatever you want with those. You can write Jesus off as a liar. You can shun him as this great big lunatic. Or you could get down on your knees and you could confess with your heart that surely he is the Christ. He is the Lord of all. You know, some people say Jesus was this, others say Jesus was that. Well, one day, Jesus looked in the eyes of Peter and he said, I got a question for you, Peter. Who do you say that I am? And maybe that's your question as we get ready to wrap up today. Who do you say that Jesus is? And and I know that for you, I mean, maybe you've grown up in the church like me and, and you would immediately say, Jesus is my Savior. Uh, He is my hope. He is my eternity. I I know that I've been forgiven by him. He is the Lord of my life. 
But yet, you know, what drives me crazy is it's so easy for us to walk out these doors and say one thing in here on Sundays and then the completely opposite during the week. And so maybe for you, uh, this time of realization is just coming back to this place where you say, you know what? I need to make him the Lord of my life. I've been asking Jesus to follow me and it's time for me to follow Jesus. Liar, lunatic, or Lord, which one is he? for you. You know, let me tell you who he is to me. When I was 12 years old, I went forward at my church at the end of a worship service much like this, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I believe in that moment that I knew what I was doing, uh, that my life was taken over by Christ in that moment, that I was changed forever on that day. But I can tell you what, uh, it doesn't mean nearly as much, it didn't mean nearly as much to me then as it does today. I'm still realizing more and more what what it means that that Jesus Christ died for me. And and I need that more now than ever before. Because it's so easy for me to take the wheel and want to drive or, you know, want to fly the plane. And instead of letting Jesus lead me, and instead of letting him truly be the Lord of my life. And there are days when I want to give up and and I'm tired and, and just... You know, just you're kind of through with everything. You're through with all of the motions or whatever. But, but I'm, I'm constantly learning it as Christ refocuses my life on what's truly important. And I know today more than, you know, yesterday, this past week, that I am more set on, on, on performing for an audience of one in this world, and that's God himself. That, that I want to live for him, that I, I, want to, I want to give all I have for him. And people may call me crazy, but, but he matters more. He, he matters more than me. He matters more than any uh, of this stuff in this world. You know, are you looking for answers? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he, is he liar? Is he lunatic? Or is he Lord? The Bible says, if you seek him, you will find him if you search for him with all of your heart and soul. Some of you have been seeking for things. You've been seeking for answers. And maybe you're realizing this morning that You haven't seen it or maybe understood it, but you've ultimately been seeking Jesus and maybe you have found him here today. Let's pray. God, I I pray right now that you would do um, what I'm unable to do here this morning. I pray that you would work in our hearts right now and that there would be uh, something that happens here today that uh, just reminds us and shows us that you are here with us. And I know there are some here today who are asking questions right now of what they need to do next. God, would you reveal yourself in a powerful and an awesome way uh, through the work of the Spirit here in this room this morning? You know, with, with every eye closed, I just want to talk with you for a few minutes. And as we pray here this morning, I just want to acknowledge uh, for many of you uh, that you're believers in Jesus, you're Christians, and right now, uh, maybe or maybe not, you realize or or don't realize that there are people around you, family members, friends, maybe your spouse, your your kids, a a boyfriend, a sister, somebody you work with, uh, a neighbor, someone you love. But right now, they don't know what to believe about anything. They are lost and looking for answers in this world. And you're looking at them right now and you know that you have the answer and you want them to have it. You want them to see this. You want them to know Christ. You want them to experience the the love and the forgiveness made available for Jesus. If you've got someone like that in your life right now that you're praying for, would you just raise your hand here this morning? Just do that. Thank you for those hands. Uh, You're you're just saying, God, I I have someone in my life. I I hope that we all, I pray that we all 
get someone in our life who, who needs Jesus, that we can help them find their way back to God. But as you're raising your hands, as you raise your hands, will you just say their name just to God right now? Just speak their name to them. Make sure they have a name. Who are you lifting up before God? Tell God that you know he can do a great work. Ask God to work through you and to give you the right words and the right love, the right actions. God, we lift up these names to you. Would you lead them, draw them to yourself right now and use us, use this church. Again, with every head still bowed, I I believe with all of my heart that God is here this morning. I've been praying for today, uh, for this series. I know that others have as well. And there are those of you here today, and you may not realize it, but God has been doing a work in your heart, whether it be for years or just these last few months here at Genesis, but he's been working in you, maybe just the last 50 minutes. And you're asking questions and your heart is being opened and your eyes are being opened to the life of Jesus. And, and, and you are confident that Jesus Christ uh, is in you. You've got this belief in Jesus, but maybe this morning you're saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I've been trying to lead and I want you to be the Lord of my life. You know, for you, it's been nothing more than routine, but this morning you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You've been asking again for Jesus to follow you, but you're ready to follow Jesus. If this is you, and would you raise your hand just to acknowledge before God, God, I, w- I want you to be the Lord of my life. Go ahead and do that right now. Thank you for that hand in the back and up front. God, we're tired of leading. Uh, we want to follow you. Would you show us what that type of life looks like where you are Lord and we're obedient and we sacrifice ourselves to you. And lastly, some of you are here today and you have never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. But God has been working in you and you're just wondering that today. And maybe you still got a tons of questions, but maybe not. But all you know is this, that Jesus is the Lord. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He loves you and he gave his life for you. And you want that today. You want to finally make a decision in your life that Jesus will be your reason. And if that is you and you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life today, even though I don't want you to be embarrassed by it, but just to kind of give you that privacy right now in this room and every head's bowed, but if you want to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life today, would you just go ahead and raise your hand up right now? Don't be ashamed in that. Just raise your hand up in this room right now so that I might pray for you today. Thank you for those commitments. Thank you for the one in the back. It's the best decision you've ever made in your life. And if that is you and you want to invite Jesus into your life today, will you just pray this prayer with me right where you are? Pray this prayer. God in heaven, take every bit of my life today. I am a sinner, but I'm saved by you. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and rose for me. Make me your own today. Thank you for saving me. As we go from here today, I pray that you would go changed. I pray that you would go motivated by his love uh, and that his forgiveness would be all that you need today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.